Good to see everyone out this evening. I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll be reading a verse from that chapter in just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 5. As usual, it's good to see everyone, just to be able to hear everyone's voices blend together, to sing praises to God, and to study His Word even more, just to try and build on the fellowship that we have through Christ. It's a it's something that we should never take for granted, something that we should cherish, something that we need to constantly be coming back to to make sure that we are doing our full part, uh, doing our due diligence and, and per- making sure we're performing our full responsibilities on the matter. And we're kind of going to come back to that uh, in just a moment as we go throughout this study. But I don't know if you've ever noticed, sometimes when the song leader is asking people to stand up or sit down, I don't think it was in these exact terms today, but a lot of times what you hear people say is, if you're willing and able, please stand. Or if you're willing and able, uh, you know, well, just please stand, not please be seated. <laughs> it's usually just a manners and please be seated. But we, that phrase, willing and able, that's something that I think we, we obviously don't just use it in the worship service, we use it frequently. We use it for all sorts of things, and not just in the spiritual realm, not just when it comes to actions that Christians are supposed to be doing and not doing. It's just used from from time to time. You hear this a lot when it just comes to a really minute situations, things that don't really matter that much. It's not that big of a deal. But there are moments where it is a big deal, that we are willing and able to do something, and that others are willing and able as well. There's a, a story that I remember hearing about two young men. They were 18 and they were riding on a motorcycle together. The driver, as he was riding on the motorcycle uh, without a helmet and his friend also without a helmet, the driver lost control and they got into a very serious wreck. And obviously not wearing helmets, it just makes the situation all the more dangerous. The passenger had non-life-threatening issues. There were some neck injuries that were going to be able to uh, heal very easily and quickly. Still was uh, dangerous, still was very hurtful, but it was something that he could very easily suffer through. The driver, on the other hand, suffered much worse injuries. He suffered a fractured skull, deep scalp lacerations, and was bleeding profusely. In fact, he was dying. And they were all alone. There was no one there to help them. But one of the first people to stop was a doctor. And as the doctor came up onto the scene and was assessing what needed to be done, he comes up to the driver of the motorcycle and realizes the condition that he's in. And when you think about the kind of person you want to just happen upon the scene, you want it to be a doctor. And why is that? Because he's able, he was eminently qualified to give medical care and medical aid where it was needed. And... Especially with this man, he was willing to help. He was willing, and therefore he offered his help. And in fact, it's because of that help that he rendered that the driver's life was saved. And so he he was willing and able to help and look at the effect, look at the result it had. Now, I want to make a connection when it comes to the biblical realm and when it comes to Christians. Like the woman with the alabaster flask, the doctor did what he could. And, And so must we. When it comes to the family, when it comes to the church, when it comes to our community and our involvement in the world, our association with the world, we need to be able and willing as Christians walking after the footsteps of Jesus. But what I want to really focus on tonight is the kind of Christian that is able but is not willing. What happens when Christians don't do what they're able to do? What happens when there are Christians that are able 
but they refuse to do what they should be doing. Ultimately, what we're going to find is that this attitude just, it just doesn't fly in Christianity. And so what I want to first do is look at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I just want to look at an instructive example that the Bible gives to describe this kind of Christian that is able but unwilling. And look at how serious the Bible talks about this kind of man. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, this, this has some context of how uh, it be, kind of talks about widows throughout this chapter and talks about uh, care for some of those widows. What's interesting is it gives qualifications of, of, of the kind of widows that we uh, should be taking care of. And therefore, if they don't meet those qualifications, then they should be taken care of by the church. But you have these, these uh, cares that are instructed by, by Paul. But as you go through this instruction in verse 8, you see a very serious condemnation of the kind of person that is able to provide, that is able to give that kind of provision for his family, and he just decides not to. Now, I just want to ask as you look at this verse, is this describing a man who is unable to perform the task expected of him? Is this describing the kind of man that has no opportunity to provide for us? No, what it's describing is the kind of person that, that really we would scoff at when you see in the world. And you do see this in the world time and time again. You, you see families where the, the mother and wife abandons her family, whether it be to be with another man or whether it is just to you know, go after some, some long-lost dream that has nothing to do with the family that she has built. Or you have the man that sits on the couch all day playing video games and eating Cheetos and not going out and providing for his family, doing the work that he needs to do to provide for his family. You look at those kind of situations and you just, you, we scoff at such a man or a woman and rightfully so. And why is that? Because they are deadbeats. And you look at the children that, that they are supposed to be raising and we feel terrible for them. We feel pity for them. And we feel pity for the spouse that they have left to do all the work by themselves. And, and so we do rightfully look at that kind of a situation. And this, I think this passage is describing this kind of person, but in a spiritual sense. Here is a Christian that is a spiritual deadbeat. And that's the way that the Bible, this is the way that the Bible looks at this kind of person. Look how strongly God speaks about such a man at the very end of the verse. He is absolutely condemned. Now, if, 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 you, if there was a man who was handicapped and, or, or maybe just had no opportunity or no say in the matter, we wouldn't look at that man and say, oh, how dare he? We would, we would have pity on him because he's not able to do what he wants to do. He's not able to perform that task of being the patriarch, being the breadwinner, and able to take care of his family. That would be a situation where we are, 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 have pity for that kind of person. Because he's unable... God also would not condemn that person. But the one who is able yet chooses not to do their job, God says he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is so severe how the Bible talks about this kind of man. Now, while I know this has specific application and this is specifically talking about a man that doesn't provide for his family, I truly believe that this principle is taught throughout the scriptures regardless. In James chapter 4 and verse 17, James says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so in another point of scripture, what we have is this notion that Christians are not allowed to be unwilling if they are able. In fact, what we are supposed to be is desiring to serve more. What we are supposed to be is desiring to perform uh, at an even higher capacity than we currently are, but constantly growing in that aspect. 
And what I think we see is that we are sinning when we deny those duties or those responsibilities that are given to Christians. In Galatians chapter 6, another verse that goes uh, hand in hand, I think, with this principle in James 4. James, uh, Galatians chapter 6 in verse 9. Paul says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so, in, in this passage, what we find is the word opportunity. If we have opportunity, but don't take it, we are no better than the man that's described in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If we have opportunity to serve, if we have opportunity to perform the tasks that God has given to us as a part of a church, as being a son of His, or a daughter of His, if we do not perform those duties and responsibilities, we are no better than a spiritual deadbeat. We become a spiritual deadbeat. And so let's look at some ways that Christians follow this bad pattern today. And because I think that there are many ways that we can follow after this example that's given in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the principle that's given even more so in James chapter 4. And so how can we follow after this man's footsteps, footsteps that we really don't want to follow after? And there's just a few things I want to talk about. We're not going to get to everything. But the first thing that I want to mention is Christians that are able but unwilling to contribute in the assembly. I think that that is following after the footsteps of the man in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 4. It says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Uh, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And, and there's even more instruction that Paul gives to, the, to how we are supposed to be as Christians towards one another and in the community at large. But I really want to focus on the verses we just read. Because I think, there is, I think there is a very common error of a passage like this and another passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 12 where it says something similar. We do not all have the same function. But I think the way some people look at this is, is that it's saying that if others are serving in the church, that means that I don't have to. But that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is we're not all going to have the same gifts. We're not all going to have the same talents, the same function. What he's saying is it, you don't have to have the same function as long as you're performing in that function. As long as you're fulfilling that role that you have within the church. You're doing your part. And you don't have to worry that you're doing any less necessarily. If you're doing what you can. But that's the point. That we are doing what we can. That we're not just giving it over to other people when we are absolutely capable. When we have the capacity to do more. And I think that people do this all the time. There was, a, when I was in Alabama and preaching at Pepper Road, I remember <laughs> all of you who lead songs, you would understand this. It was an audience of 200 people, give or take, every single service. If you think it's nerve-wracking to get up and lead up here, much more so when you get in front of 200 people. And who knows if it's going to be a gospel meeting. There may even be more than that. And so, you know, be, with that being the case, I remember the first time I walked into the building, there were three separate sections of pews. And I thought, that's terrifying. <laughs> because not only am I 
going to be leading songs, but I'm also going to be preaching. So I very quickly came to the decision when I got there, I don't think I'm going to lead songs anymore. <laughs> and the reason I did that was because it, it was nerve-wracking. I don't, I don't want to have to do this in front of 200 people. And you know what? They had plenty of men that could fill that role. And in fact, men that did it way better than I did. And so I decided that I wasn't going to do that. Well, time had passed, and I hadn't done it for a while. And then at one point, the elders had called uh, the men together, and we were going to start doing classes on how to uh, be more effective as we lead in worship in the assembly. And we got to the song leading, and I decided because this whole weekend was going to be about leading in songs, I just decided I wasn't going to go because, hey, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression that I'm going to start leading again. And I remember very vividly that afternoon after the first class was was taught, Stephen Russell, the preacher there, texted me and said, hey, are you sick? And I said, no. He said, then what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a song leader, so I just thought I shouldn't go because it's really just more so for song leading. And what he said there, I'll just give you the very brief part of what he said. Ultimately, it was, you're wrong. You should be here. <laughs> but he said even, what really got me was, if, if the brethren decide that we are going to do something to help our assembly, to help our worship, to help the growth of this church here, you go, even if you're not going to be leading in songs. And in fact, that whole weekend, it was filled with good instruction, not just for the song leader, but for the people that were going to be participating in following the leader. And, and I go through all that just to say, I was able to do the part. I was able to lead the songs. I wasn't going to do it as well, but I was still able. I chose not to help. I chose not to aid in that effort. And I tell you, that was wrong. I look back on that, and I look on back on that with shame. That was wrong because I was able but unwilling. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I know, you know where I'm going with this. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews 10 and verse 24. It says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there's, I think that there are so many things that we have to pay attention to in these verses. But specifically when you think about as we are supposed to be assembling together and what, what are we supposed to be focusing on as we assemble together? We are supposed to be focusing on serving one another, helping one another. Am I truly trying to stimulate one another to love and good works if in the worship I'm able to fill a need or a function like song leading but choose not to because maybe some, some other people are doing it? Let's, maybe maybe uh, not just with song leading, but what about when it comes to the Bible classes? Am I trying to stimulate one another to love and good works if I'm able to stand and speak, but I just decide that I'm not going to because I don't feel like I'm as good of a teacher as someone else over here? Now, again, this is not to say, hey, you're better than you actually are. This is just to say it doesn't matter. That's one of the things I think that God t essentially tells Moses when Moses says, I'm not a good speaker, I'm slow of speech. God does not say, don't say that about yourself. You're better than you give yourself credit for. What he ultimately says is, I never said you were, but you can do the work. And guess what? I've commanded you to do it. So do it. And I think it, I really think it's the same when it comes to our worship. When we have men that are able to aid and able to perform in that role, but they decide not to. What does that say? Should I ever be unwilling to do something that I'm able to, to help in? I think this happens all the time with teaching. And let me tell you, I understand why. It happens for various reasons. It may just be nerves. And that's with the song leading too. That's with the announcements as well. 
Don't think that I don't get nervous coming up here as I preach sometimes. Well, a lot of the time. Well, all the time. <laughs> but everybody's got those nerves. And what would, what, what would have happened if Paul had said, I came in fear and trembling and so I decided not to preach at Corinth? <laughs> wow. No, even in fear and trembling, he decided, I'm going to do this because I love God and I love his people. Do we love God and do we love his people? Or do I love myself a little bit more and therefore I'm going to do what I want to do more than what would help the congregation here? Just because there may be someone that serves in a better way. Maybe there is someone that can teach way better than me. It doesn't matter. Can I stand up here and speak and help the brethren? Yes, I can. So let's ask ourselves that question. Now, certainly I understand that not everyone is able. But if I am and choose not to, does that make me any better than the man that we described in 1 Timothy chapter 5? So are we contributing in the assembly? Another example of this is when Christians are able but unwilling to build relationships in the church. And more specifically, in this church. Let's think about Lakeside. Let's think about me. Not him or her, not the person sitting in front of you. Me. Am I trying to build relationships in this congregation? Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Let me just ask, is there any translation that anyone's reading from? You can raise your hand. Does it say, bear one another's burdens, parentheses, if you want to, end parentheses, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ? I don't see any hands. <laughs> what he says is, this is the commandment. You fulfill the law. You bear one another's burdens. You help one another. You serve one another. I think so many times what happens, though, is instead of you know, we look at a verse like that, and any time there's any remote hiccup in a Christian's life, we immediately go to, oh, he needs to understand. And yes, he does need to understand that, that there's been a failure here. But there's an even greater failure when we only focus on making sure people know when they're wrong and we haven't built the relationship enough to get to that point where they're going to accept it. How accepting are you of someone when they rebuke you when you've only talked maybe once in your life? What's more, what if that's the situation and you have been assembling with them every single week for years and yet you've only talked to them maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times? Are you going to want to hear what they have to say? I tell you, we need to focus on building the relationships in the local assembly, in the local congregation. This is one of our greatest goals and responsibilities is to develop and cultivate our relationship with one another. So how are we doing in that? Do, do I come into the building Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings? Do I come into the building and talk to the same five people every time that I come in here? Or am I asking everybody about their week? Am I cultivating a character of inclusiveness with brethren here? Or am I hiding comfortably within a clique? And I'll tell you, I understand it is easy. Because there are people that we just get along with more naturally, that we just so much more easily, uh, uh, you know, associate with and grow in, in a relationship with. I understand that happens. But am I hiding within those kinds of relationships? Or am I trying to make sure that everyone knows that is a man that you can go to when you need help? That is a man that you can go to when you need someone to bear the burden with you. Can, can people say that about me? I hope they can. And if they can't, 
I want to be working on that. And in fact, I'm going to go to that person that thinks, and I'm going to figure out what's going on. How can I help in this? I'm not going to get mad and salty just because someone thinks that I'm not doing. Let's go and figure this out. So am I building the relationships? And I'll tell you, uh, one objection that you hear sometimes when it comes to this is, well, there's really not much that I can do. I can only do so much, and you know what? I'm, I've exhausted everything. Have you really? Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Hebrews 13 and verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, the command is, do not neglect hospitality. People say, there's really not much that I can do. Can we start inviting brethren into our homes to visit maybe just, maybe just once a month? Start there. Am I doing that? Am I doing that much? Or can I grow in that? Could we host a singing at our house? Could we host a young people's Bible study just once a month? I think we could. Or maybe we could figure out a way to get everyone together. Maybe it's not at our house. Maybe we don't have enough room. That's fine. But maybe you go to a park somewhere and you try to meet together. Just find the time and the means to get together. Are we thinking in those terms? Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 and verse 1. Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. <clears throat> It says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. This is right after Romans chapter 14 where he talks about how people are going to have different judgments at times. And guess what? You don't get to have contempt for the one and you don't get to be arrogant towards the other. And so either whatever camp you find yourself in, whether you are of the weaker faith or you are of the stronger faith, you get to verse 1 of chapter 15. And what does he say? Make sure that you are not just trying to please yourselves, but you bear one another's weaknesses. You bear one another's burdens. So people say, there's, just, there's really nothing that I can do about this to, to, to get closer with people. Can we spare just maybe one hour a week for a struggling brother for a study? Can we all maybe try to call and provide accountability for a brother or a sister who is seeking it maybe once or twice a week? Now, I keep saying once a week, I would say try to do it as much as possible. But what I'm saying, a lot of times people say, well, there's really nothing we can do. Just start easily. Start there. And wow, let me tell you how much of a benefit that makes. How much of a benefit you receive when you dedicate just one hour to serve your brother or your sister and not just think about yourself. I can't tell you how often I have been, I, there have been moments where I have had to go and maybe go out of my way to help and I thought, man, I just really don't want to do this today. There has been moments like that, but I promise you, there has not been one moment where that has happened where after the fact, I thought, I regret doing that. Every single time it's, I know that I received benefit from that. I know that this was better for me than just staying at home relaxing. I know that this was better for me than just staying at home in the comfort of my own home or the comfort of the same relationships that, that I've had for, for years. But spending time to serve others. And so I want to ask, is it really because there's not much that we can do that we're not building relationships? I don't, I don't think that's ever the case. It's just that we aren't willing to open up our home. It's just that we're not willing to spend more time with brethren. It's because we're not willing to take time to study just one more lesson with Christians. I'm not willing to have to come to the building one more time. I'm not willing to have to go spend another night with these group of people. That is the kind of person that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
Someone who's able but unwilling. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, what I'm doing in this lesson is just describing the kind of Christian that looks like the man in 1 Timothy chapter 5. What I'm asking is, am I doing that? Am I following after this pattern, this example, or am I following after the pattern of Paul who ultimately is imitating Jesus? And there are so many other things that we could talk about, but the last thing within this point that I want to focus on, an example, is when it comes to the unity of this church. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you could just keep on reading the rest of, of the chapter there, and even the rest of the epistle and how we are to serve one another. But that notion of preserving the unity in the bond of peace. Are we focusing on that? Just that alone. How do we preserve the unity? Are we helping this group to grow? Are we helping each other grow? Am I trying to grow individually? Am I trying to, when I see problems arise, arise fix them? Am I just complaining or am I trying to give solutions? I'll tell you, nobody has a right to complain if they're not willing to give solutions. And we need to make sure that we are not the kind of person who follows after the footsteps of the man in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and just does not care about preserving the unity. Is this our goal? Is this our focus, preserving the unity? And that doesn't mean just letting go of everything God says. We preserve the unity by fulfilling what God says. But do you recognize some of the things he talks about in verse 2? That we have to have humility, we have to have gentleness, we have to have patience, we have to have tolerance and love. Why? Because this is what it takes <laughs> to get along sometimes with family. And it's not just within the church. That's just within the, the, the blood relative family that we have. How many times have you gotten into arguments with your siblings as you were growing up? How many times do you get with, into arguments with your siblings as you become an adult? And a lot of times what happens is you just need to cool down, need to have patience, need to be a little bit more gentle because I probably could have entered this situation a little bit more gracefully. This is what's needed. This is the kind of attitude that's needed. And let me just ask, who is called to walk in this way? What does he say in verse 1? I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Who's you? <laughs> that's me. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's, that is everyone in this room that is truly trying to find the will of God. Anyone who reads this, that is who Paul is referring to. You walk in a manner worthy. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 14, I think it's interesting how this is brought up once more in another epistle of Paul. In verse 14 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That wasn't left absent in Ephesians. And, and you could even read a little bit of Colossians chapter 3. You find some of the similar things from Ephesians 4. But what does he say? Beyond all those things, love is the most important. Why? Because if you have love, it makes everything else a lot easier. When you have love, you can be a little bit more humble. You can be a little bit more patient. But if you don't have love, it's going to be very hard to be gentle with someone. It's going to be very hard to be patient and very hard to be humble. If we are not if we don't have that love already in place, we will not be willing to do any of those things. I guarantee it. Every single person is able to engage in this, in strengthening the bond of unity. Now, let me ask a question. 
Am I engaging in this? Just like we've talked about with all these other things. Or am I giving excuses? People sometimes could excuse themselves by saying, well, I'm too inexperienced, I'm too young, and therefore I'm not going to be of any use here. You know what that is? That's a big old fat excuse. Because if you're a Christian, if you're someone that knows the will of God, you have something to offer. If not, at the very least, just repeating His words. And maybe that's all you need. Maybe you just need to be an Elihu in the midst of Job's friends who are speaking folly. Maybe you just need to be a quiet, you know, slow to speak, voice of reason every now and then. I, I, this, this comes up time and time again. Because, and, and I know that you see the irony sometimes in me teaching about, uh, preaching about how to be a better spouse, how to be a better parent. Because I'm pretty new to this. And many of you have been doing it for way longer than I have. And so don't think I don't see the irony there. But I remember someone once said, you know, you're going to think differently as you get older. You're going to think differently when you have more experience. And, you know, I'm sure I will think differently when I have more experience. But not about this. I'm very confident that what I'm saying is true. I'm very firm about this and resolved in this. You want to know why? Because I'm just repeating the words of God. This isn't just Luke coming up with his own ideas. And... and Frankly, if I give in to that, that's an excuse. And I'm not willing to give in to that. Some people may come up and say, well, there's something that needs to be fixed. I see something that, is, that has arisen, something that needs to be finished, completed. But I don't want to make anybody mad, so I, I'm just going to keep my hands off of it. I don't want to make anybody mad, so I'm just going to stay away from the situation. Let me ask, is this even an option? When, when we see that there's something that has come up, when we see that there's a problem that needs to be fixed, do we have the right to just not say anything? Did Elijah? We just talked about that last week. He thought that there was no one else to serve the Lord. With that being the case, was he allowed to not preach the will of God? Was he allowed to say to God, I don't want to do this anymore? In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 19, he does to a degree. And what does God say? You have work to do. And so are we trying to excuse ourselves and trying to get out of, of offering solutions, trying to help in the best way that we can? Maybe you're someone who says, nobody will listen to me, kind of like we talked about with Moses. And just like we talked about with, with Elijah, what did God tell the prophets time and time again? Don't stop preaching the word. He even tells, he even tells some of them, I can promise you no one's going to listen to you. I already know no one will listen, but it doesn't matter. Keep preaching. That's interesting. And I tell you, that gives encouragement. That should give encouragement to all of us. Because it may be that nobody will listen. But that doesn't matter. We have a need to fulfill the responsibility when we are able. When we have the opportunity. Well, there's so many other things that we could say about this. But this, this is the kind of Christian. when The one that is able but unwilling to help grow and solve problems. The one that's able but unwilling to preserve the unity what is he he is nothing but a spiritual deadbeat no better than the man that we read about in first timothy 5 so as we think about this how are we supposed to address this kind of problem and i'm going to have to restart this otherwise we're not going to have the worship slides after the sermon so let me just turn this back on something happened with the computer again but what's more is as i said last time cody helped me figure this out and so look at that already back up Make sure you thank Cody next time you see him for teaching me how to do that. But how do we address this problem? How are we supposed to go forward when we know that there are going to be moments where people are acting like this? Maybe I'm acting like this. I want to look at what Paul says about this kind of person over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. We already started in 1 Timothy chapter 5. God makes it very clear. This kind of man is condemned. This kind of man is not someone that we want to emulate our lives after. And what does Paul add to that? How does Paul address this kind of man? He says that church discipline is needed. He says you withdraw from these people because they are not fulfilling their responsibilities. The man that we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 5 who's able to provide for his own but is not. He even says in verse 10, if he's not willing to work, he's not able to, you don't, you don't feed him. If he's not willing to do what he is able to do, you don't just let him off easy and provide for him what he should be providing for himself and his own. Very, very serious about this. And I tell you, this kind of attitude is unacceptable for any Christian. And, and frankly, it is unacceptable when we are willing to just let it go and enable bad behavior. But in, instead of dealing with this the way Paul does, I think we often do tend to enable bad behavior. Just two things I want to mention. How do we do this today? How do we enable this with others? Turn over to 1, Timothy, or 1 Thessalonians, just 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. How do we enable, enable this in others? By not addressing it and making excuses for them. Instead of encouraging, instead of warning, instead of admonishing, what we do is not do any of those things. Just remain silent about it because I don't want to make waves. Well, that's not what Paul says. He says, you don't associate with that brother. And they need to know why. And, and, and so, you know, sometimes I think the way this sounds when people enable bad behavior, sinful behavior, what people tend to say is, well, that's just how he is. You know, that's just how he's made. He's always been like that. No, no. Paul says he needs to stop. Because that's not the way a Christian's supposed to act. And so <laughs> you look at a man and someone says, ah, you know, don't worry about him. He's just naturally a complainer. He, he just likes things to be done his way and no one else's. He's just very particular. That's just how he's always been. Is that acceptable? Do we get to excuse that? No. Not if he's able but unwilling. Not if he's like the man in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Not if he knows what is right and still does not do it. Can, can someone try to excuse that person by saying he just doesn't like to get involved? He's not built that way. And so really you shouldn't be pushing him so hard. Really you shouldn't be pushing her so hard. You need to stop talking to them. They're just not built that way. What have we been talking about this whole time? We're supposed to be willing if we are able. Again, that's a different conversation if we're not able. But most of the time I think what happens is we absolutely are. We just decide not to. But in this case, our job is to admonish, encourage, and warn one another, not dismiss it. But we do dismiss it by excusing it. And finally, we enable sin <laughs> by excusing it, we become partakers in it. Back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, a little bit earlier from what we read in verse 6. 
He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. And he talks about, you saw the way we lived. You saw our example. That's the way you want to live. That's what the kind of example you want to imitate. Don't imitate this person. Don't be like that person. And what's more, as kind of a question we already asked earlier, who does Paul command here? He says, we command you. I don't get a pass on this. I don't get a pass on God's word. I don't get a pass where on anything. Maybe I do 99% of it. I don't get a pass on 1%. What does God say? He wants us to obey him. Does that mean obey in almost everything? No, it means obey in everything. Does that mean like we talked about in Galatians chapter 6, bear one another's burdens as long as you want to. No, it's you bear one another's burdens, period. Full stop. And thereby fulfill the law of Christ. But when we excuse and we don't address this kind of behavior in ourselves, in our brethren, we may not be the ones that are acting out. We may not be the person that we're even saying to someone else as we're excusing them. You know, I know we shouldn't be like that, but they're just, that's, just the kind of, that's just complainers. That's the way they are. Or I know that we shouldn't be like that, but you know what? He just does things a very particular way. Guess what? This isn't optional. You don't get to dismiss it. And when we do, we become partakers because we engage in it by letting it slide. I want to tell you why people often do this. Why people often try to dismiss this. Why people try to get by without saying anything. It's because they don't want to get involved. They don't want to be the ones that have to address a specific problem. Maybe because they don't like that problem themselves. They, They may go along that way. Maybe they struggle with that. Or maybe they just don't want to address a specific problem with this brother or sister. Maybe it's family. How many times has that happened? And so we have to be careful that we are not dismissing things. We have to be careful that I'm not dismissing this in myself. We have to be careful that we are not following after the pattern of the first uh, man in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but following after the pattern of Paul and the apostles that they gave to the people constantly throughout the New Testament. What does James say in James 4 and verse 17? Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The question is, is there something that you know is the right thing to do, but you are not doing it? If you're a Christian, don't follow after the pattern of the man in 1 Timothy. Don't continue down that road. Make the correction. I tell you, if you're not a Christian, you know what the right thing to do is. It's become one. Is follow after the example of Jesus. It's start imitating him. And stop putting him on the, on the sidelines. I'll tell you, that's the sin that will kill us if we know what the right thing to do is and we decide, I'm not willing to go that far for him. He's gone way further for us. And so are you willing to subject yourself to his message, to his kingship? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.